What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. The summer of football. All you can ask for is another opportunity to play this game. It burns in me. On ESPN 1000. We don't know how many we got. I don't know how many I got. Make it count, boys. Mahomes flushed out again. Turning the corner. Fires downfield. Caught. Touchdown. Only Mahomes. You throw the score. You run to win. Here's Saquon Barkley. And he's off to the races. The 30, the 20. Saquon for six. The summer of football at eight. Here's a quick throw to Miller. Good throw. Touchdown. Fake to Armstrong. Run. Book five. Book to the end zone. Touchdown. In Burrow's got time. Launching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown. Terrence. The Summer of Football with Jonathan Hood. Yeah, that's my dog! On Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. What's up and welcome in. It's Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Open phone lines 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is the telephone number as we start with the summer of football, as we do every night at 8 o'clock right here on Chicago's Home for Sports. We're going to hear from Cole Kublik, who works for the SEC Network, does a great job uh, covering college football for SEC as well as ESPN. We'll get his thoughts on when college football will begin. Will it begin on time? Uh, how much of a delay will we have? We'll hear from Cole Kublik about that and bowl season. Do we get that for college football? All part of the mix right here on UTH. But before we hear from Cole Kublik, let's talk a little bit about a couple of storylines when it comes to the NFL. The biggest storyline in the NFL is Dan Snyder, the Washington NFL owner. Uh, he said earlier today that he is committed to improving the culture inside uh, the team after the allegations of sexual harassment, while the league said it would wait for a law firm's review before taking action. Now, the story, as we talked about it yesterday, the allegations of sexual harassment and toxic workplace culture spanning from 2006 to 2019 were raised by 15 women who uh, all but one spoke on the record to the Washington Post um, and there was some non-disclosure agreements that they had to sign with the team. But overall, the story from the Washington Post that I read was just talking about the behavior that was described uh, within the culture for the Washington football team. So here's a little bit of the statement from Dan Steiner, the owner for the Redskins. The behavior described in yesterday's Washington Post article has no place in our franchise or society. This story has strengthened my commitment to setting a new culture and standard for our team. Now, the one thing we do know is that Bruce Allen, as well as Dan Snyder, uh, were not implicated, that they were not uh, charged uh, with harassment allegations or anything like that.
that. It was just people around them. Larry Michael, the longtime voice of the Redskins, among others, uh, decided to step down. Also, the other thing that stands out about this whole thing about the Washington franchise is that some of the minority owners are looking for buyers. They want out of this franchise. What a mess it is. It's a complete mess. And and something that resonates with me a lot is former Bear Ron Rivera, who's a longtime Carolina Panthers coach, and now he takes over. I really believe that he has more power than uh, most coaches in the NFL, and he hasn't even blown a whistle for the Washington franchise yet. He, I mean, he just got the job, and now he has an opportunity to really be able to take hold of this franchise. He he has been part of trying to figure out what the new nickname for the Washington football team is going to be. He talked about how the Redskins' um, name was a slur and that it needed to be changed. And, of course, there was never going to be a change with the Redskins' name until uh, sponsors start pulling away from the Washington football team. It's a story that's been going on for a long time, but it's about – diversity and its inclusion. It's about uh, making sure that everyone is under the tent when it comes to that Washington football team, the, the, um, Fans in D.C. proper and Maryland and all around that area that are Washington NFL fans, they want to all feel like they all are on the same tent and all under the same plane. And so I just um, I just think that it is interesting that when I was reading through what Dan Steiner had to say, I just gave, gave you a little paragraph of what he had to say. He really did not take authority. He he didn't say, this is on me, this is on my organization, I've got to be able to clean things up. And I think that that says a lot for Dan Snyder, where there was not a ton of accountability in the statement that he put out there. I can't say I'm surprised, but it's just disappointing for sure. As I mentioned, we're going to hear from Cole Kublik, a college football analyst for the SEC Network and ESPN. Uh, JD and I got a chance to talk to Cole Kublik about a number of things, including Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, and... The commissioner of the SEC said it looks bleak for college football to return. Bleak is the word that he used. And many people, are, 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 especially we as sports fans, are optimistic at some point we'll get some kind of college or pro football. But Sankey says it's bleak. So we got the reaction from Cole Kublik uh, about that and other issues as far as Sarmler football right here on ESPN 1000. When you hear the commissioner of the most powerful conference in college football, um, you know, basically come out and say that, that things are bleak and, and things don't look great, um, that's a little bit scary. Uh, I believe the quote was, the direct reality is not good. Um, that, that concerned me, just to be perfectly honest with you guys. That worried me as, as somebody who calls games on the SEC network and does radio in Birmingham, Alabama, which is 90% SEC. So uh, that was concerning. But I, I think he... He also tried to wake some people up by discussing how politicized some of the medical issues have become and how intelligent we maybe need to try to be over the next month, two months, if we want to try to squeeze some sort of a season in in the fall. And and I think the rush to squeeze it in in the fall is not necessarily a rush. It's if we can get it in there, we don't know what the spring is going to look like. So you better be able to get it in where you can fit it in if you're going to play any football uh, this calendar season or early next calendar season. Cole, I thought that some of the Power Five conference commissioners were were kind of locking step a lot of this. Uh, how surprised were you that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 made that move so quickly to say, okay, only conference games? I was very surprised. Um, 
Pac-12. I wasn't surprised about that. I mean, I, I think I, I was reading. A, I was reading a book to my son. Uh, my son's three years old, and we were reading The Little Red Caboose uh, two nights ago. And I, I tried to give my three-year-old a college football lesson, and it's a very easy read. There's not a ton of words. There's a lot of pictures, and he loves it because he already has the cars memorized. There, there's two big black engines for the Little Red Caboose's train. And I said, son, that's the Big Ten and that's the SEC. And then you have the oil cars. That's the Big 12. Then you have the coal cars. That would be the ACC. Then you have the flat cars. That would be the group of five. And then the Little Red Caboose would be the Pac-12. Let's be honest. They, they are essentially being pulled along in all of this. Uh, I don't think that anything that they do changes anything that any other, other Power Five are going to do as far as their decision-making moving forward. But I was, I was very surprised that the Big Ten decided to come out because I was in agreement with you. Uh, I was in agreement that, that these, these conference commissioners wanted uniformity. They were going to try to push uniformity. And that was something that was going to be probably valuable and something that could help us actually find a way to get college football this season. When I looked at the background of Kevin Warren, Big Ten commissioner, I began to sort of develop theories of my own. Uh, you, you see a legal background. You see an NFL background. And the only thing that I can ascertain, because I, I've talked to a lot of people in the media, a lot of people involved with college football as to why he did what he did. And most of them say, I have no idea. The only theory that I can come up with is that legally, he wanted to sort of get ahead of the curve. And I don't know if that's just a CYA. I don't know if it's liability but I think it might have something to do with contracts. And if the Power Five would have waited all together at once and said we're all going to conference-only schedule, then you could be looking at some sort of a collusion lawsuit possibly where the group of five says those guys just went and bailed on us and cost us, I don't know, $80, $120 million, whatever all of those payouts would be that they're all of a sudden not going to get. And by the way, if your conference commissioner has laid down the guidelines that you're only going to play teams in your conference, well, it's not Ohio State's fault that they're not playing a team from the MAC. It's, it's not Northwestern's fault that they're not playing a team from the Mountain West. All of a sudden, your hands are clean. You didn't cancel that game. Your commissioner told you you weren't allowed to play that game. So that's the only thing that I could come up with as to why that move was made when it was. And having a little bit of NFL background, tells me that there might be some sort of middle finger to everybody, we're going to do what we do, because that's what Roger Goodell would do. That's what the NFL would do. So I, I just studying his background, those are the only things that I could come up with as to why it makes any sense. What do you think the chances are the SEC goes the same way and has conference-only schedule eventually when they make their decision in late July? Well, the SEC is going to go a similar way. I don't know if it'll be the same way. And I, I think the big advantages that the SEC has to not necessarily do the exact same thing is, one, they're already six-game scheduled with ACC teams on SEC team schedules. I think also the geography of a lot of the ACC and a lot of the SEC works really, really well. Obviously, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State, South Carolina, Clemson. Uh, I mean, we could go North Carolina, South Carolina. You could go Georgia Tech, South Carolina. Georgia Tech, Auburn. I mean, that's an hour and 45-minute drive. The geography works for a lot of those football teams. And if, that, if travel is still going to be a major obstacle when we do get to playing games, then I think there might be a way to squeeze a few of those games in. Uh, my assumption would be, and there's going to be a meeting in Birmingham on Monday with the school president, that you're probably looking at a 10-game conference schedule – 
and that's going to end in early November that will be completely revamped. It's not going to be hold on to what you had scheduled in your division now, and then we'll add some. That will be an entirely new schedule. Uh, the other way that I would see it would probably be a 10-game conference schedule, leave what you have now, and then add your next two cross-divisional rivals being the next two teams in future schedules that you would play from the opposite division. I think that if I if I understand everything Greg Sankey has done has, has evolved around patience and waiting, there's no reason that the SEC cannot announce one of those two schedules and then say, we're leaving the final weekend of the season wide open. If things are better and we can travel and the ACC has agreed to stand by the exact same guidelines and share health and testing information with us, which from a HIPAA standpoint, I don't even know exactly how much of that can be exchanged, but you would want to know not just how, this is key, not just how many positives there were, who came back positive before you go in and play a football game. That could be critical for what teams may want to and not want to do. But I think they could leave a window open late and say, depending on how everything looks, we would like to try to keep some of these traditional rivalry games and see if we can make them work. And if we can play those, maybe some of our other schools can play some of their other schools, and that only adds to the inventory that we can provide to TV partners. Cole, as a college football fan, I'm, I'm one that does not complain about bowl season because there's value of the bowls because there might be games I, I won't watch, but the majority I will watch because I'm a college football fan. I've, I've, if I'm invested all in the regular season, why wouldn't I be invested in bowl season? But nonetheless, in 2020, because of the travel, do you foresee a bowl season for 2020? It's very difficult to see one, and, and I'm with you. I, I, will, I will go to my grave wondering how and why people complain about more football. I, it absolutely boggles my mind. I, I know, it's like with the Ivy League, I think this could be the best thing that ever happened to the Ivy League. I'm getting a little bit off track here, but what if that thing works in the spring? I'm coming off work in the XFL. I just worked XFL games. I saw the appetite for football in the spring. It's there. What if they stumble upon a legitimate television contract, they play in the fall, and there's an extra half million, million, million and a half people that watch their games every weekend. Could be something that works out. But I'm with you. I, I love bowl games because, number one, it's just extra football. It's matchups that we oftentimes don't see. And the way that bowl games operate, I would find it very difficult for us to have a full postseason or even close to it. Now, go back to the geography that we talked about with the ACC and the SEC. I think that could actually be very possible with certain bowl games. Probably not all. Like, I don't think we're going to the Bahamas Bowl unless Dana White can get involved and we can have some kind of bowl <laughs> island and we can get that thing rolling down there. But I don't see a, I don't see a postseason uh, like anything that we've been used to in the past actually taking place. Cole, thank you, my friend, as always. Appreciate your time. Please enjoy the rest of your weekend, all right? All right, guys. Thanks for having me. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Go. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood weeknights right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at IGJ Hood. Also on Twitter, Twitter.com, Tweet J Hood. We're going to hear from Matt Peralt who is part of Pushing the Odds on SB Nation Radio and also the betting pros. We're going to have a special value bet here on this Friday night as we try to put money in your pocket. 
when it comes to the upcoming baseball season. Baseball season is right around the corner, so when it comes to the Sox, the Cubs, the NL Central, the AL Central, we'll try to figure out how we can put some money in your pocket. So stay tuned for our special value bet coming up at 835 right here on ESPN 1000. I saw Darnell Mayberry's piece on TheAthletic.com. The piece is entitled Mayberry, colon, why is Jim Boylan still the coach of the Bulls? <laughs> and so it's an interesting column because I'm sure a lot of people around Bulls Nation are wondering why Jim Boylan's still in place. Yeah, there's Arturis Karnaschovas as part of the organization. There is Mark Eversley that's now part of the organization. And it was time, without question, it was time for a facelift with the Chicago Bulls. That hashtag of fire guard backs is a thing of the past now. And so now there's at least some new faces in the Bulls organization. A new coat of paint is there now on West Madison. And I'm happy about it. I'm very happy about it because it what you're looking for is hope. You're looking for a different direction. You're looking for wins and you're looking for a team that could be a perennial playoff team and possibly a championship team at some point. Because the way things were going, it was the mom and pop shop that you and I got tired of when it comes to Bulls basketball. It was tiresome, really bad. You continue to have the same people in place and you get the same results. What's funny about the start of the Mayberry piece from the athletic.com is a quote from Jerry Reinsdorf who says, you can't let your liking of a person cause you to keep somebody in the job who shouldn't be in the job. It's a funny quote from Jerry Reinsdorf, who is like the most loyal person in the history of Chicago sports. For real, for real. When it comes to the White Sox and the Bulls, the people that have been in an organization for the Sox and Bulls for so long, they're still there. Not a surprise because of the loyalty. No matter the one loss record, Reinsdorf always held on to a lot of people that are still around from the championship years to the lean years to the Derrick Rose years and again to the lean years again. So it's a funny that he says that quote, even though. He's like the most loyal person and sticking with um, people in the organization for the Sox and Bulls to the detriment of the organization at times. Nonetheless, the piece was interesting because it asks a very good question about why Jim Boylan is still the head coach for the Bulls. Well, I would say this. If I'm Arturis Karnaschovas and if I'm Mark Eversley, whenever we get the NBA to return with the Bulls on the floor, it's an evaluation period. It's an evaluation period because it's an evaluation period to be able to see what the players can do first and see how they're coached by Jim Boylan and then try to find the right coach to match the personnel. I am in no hurry to get Boylan out the door. I know he should be fired. I know he should have never been the head coach. I also know that I think it's kind of weird that he becomes the head coach and just moves 18 inches over from the assistant coach's seat to the head coach's seat, uh, even though while Fred Hoiberg was the coach, there was some underachievement, and Boylan was part of that underachievement, but yet he's the reason why he, he, that the Bulls should have him as a head coach? No, that was always a problem for me. And I know that was a John Paxson decision. It was a bad decision. And, and so you need to start fresh there after Fred Hoiberg in December of 2018. But no, they didn't do that. They just went and just brought Boylan over. Now, it looks as if Boylan is 
got uh, less than $2 million on his uh, contract. He's got two years remaining on his contract, $2 million per year. And so, of course, Boylan should be replaced. He's in over his head as a head coach. He might be a nice assistant, but I just want to look at it from this standpoint. Not only is Boylan a boob and should not be the head coach, um, but the other thing is, is that the numbers speak for themselves. As Mayberry points out, his 317 winning percentage ranks as the second worst in franchise history, trailing only Tim Floyd. After the championship years, Tim Floyd was the head coach after Phil Jackson. You knew that that was going to be a tank job and it was going to be bad without Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and the crew from those championship years. So that was going to happen. He was promoted in hopes that he could instill discipline and improved habits into one of the league's youngest rosters. And instead, the Bulls rebelled. They regressed and repeatedly lost. He implemented an offensive system that either didn't fit his roster or one which his players were ill-prepared to play. Most damning is how, in spite of his celebrated care factor, he butted heads with several players. More than a few players this season voiced frustration with Boylan's methods some openly mocking him. <laughs> so think about that. This is happening since he's taken the job. You've seen it. I don't have to really go through it, but uh, it's a refresher because of this piece written by Mayberry in The Athletic. So we talk about this with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So he highlights some of the lowlights, you could say, uh, in the Boylan administration. A franchise record 56-point home defeat at the hands of Boston on December 18, 2018. His third game as a head coach. Boylan infamously made wholesale substitutions less than five minutes into the game after Boston led 13-0. They started off the game, uh, the Bulls, on the ass end of a 13-0 deficit. So he did so again within the first three minutes of the third quarter with the Celtics having outscored the Bulls 5-3 to to start the second half. <laughs> like he's running it like it's college wholesale changes like a whole line change like hockey you, you don't bring five guys off five guys in it's it's not the nhl you know it, it's not and it's not high school basketball but for boylan in that situation it was a 56 point home defeat against boston uh singling out zach levine on november 22nd of 2019 a home loss against miami Boylan yanked his best score and only consistent reliable source of offense in the first three and a half minutes after the Heat jumped off to a 13-0 lead. Boylan cited that Levine uh, was making egregious defensive mistakes but declined to disclose what they were. Okay, Then under Boylan, a three-game winning streak. That's the longest streak in the Boylan era, three games. That was um, between February 13th and the 23rd with the All-Star break wedged in between back in 2019. The victories are against Memphis, at Orlando, and at home against Boston. The Bulls have won two consecutive games only six other times in the Boylan era. So completely inconsistent, right? Here, I'll, just, I'll make you feel even worse. The, thanks, <laughs> the Thanksgiving Eve game, that loss against a bad Gold State Warriors team. Warriors were 3-15. and 15. I remember watching this game. And it's just like, oh, my God, how, how do you lose to the Warriors? I was going to call Black, I think, that night. I came midnight on a... Uh, that Thanksgiving Eve, it was going to just do a podcast just to yell because I was so bad. The Warriors did not have Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or D'Angelo Russell because of injuries. And the Bulls had everybody except Otto Porter Jr. And they got beat. And Boylan, his response after the game, there is no shame 
in this game tonight. <laughs> Bulls got beat down by the Warriors, right? And the Warriors didn't have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, or D'Angelo Russell. All right, cool. And lastly, a defiant pregame statement in late February in which Boyland, who at the time owned a 37 and 79 record, declared, I'm not worried about my personal record or my win-loss record. So, so there you go. So he's a boob and should not be the head coach. My focus, though, is about the young players on the roster and some of the veterans as well. Um, you know, you, you think about the breakdown of the losses and some of the victories for the Bulls under Boylan, and you're just concerned about how the young players will react. Like, you know, I, I've seen bad teams like Phoenix and Sacramento, Atlanta, Knicks, where some of the young players in the team are like, oh, so I'm out of college and where wins are important. So I come to the NBA and it's like, oh, if we lose tonight, it's okay. So we just go to the next town, the next play, and the next party. Oh, we lose tonight? Eh, we lost again. The next play, the next party, the next, you know, <laughs> the, the, the next thing, you know, the next game, the next town. And I don't want the Bulls to get into that habit, like a Wendell Carter Jr. or Hutchinson or Markkinen, for them to feel like, oh, just next next town, next party, next plane, no big deal. It, it is a big deal when you lose. It's a big deal when you're not being coached properly. And 15 of Chicago's 22 victories this past season came against five opponents, Atlanta, Cleveland, Detroit, Memphis, and Washington. Teams that combined to go 115 and 212 before the league shut down. The Bulls went 0 and 21 against teams in the top eight of the Eastern Conference. They were 2 and 23 against teams above 500. The fewest such victories among all teams. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. And I know you're thinking, like, well, Hood, he should be fired, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. You know, you you don't allow a coach like Jim Boylan, who is a career assistant, to get his first job in Chicago and for him to be this bad. And it's not it's the one loss record, but it's also the way the players disrespect him and he disrespects them. And there's just not a very good relationship between them. That's what it is. He he can get down and clap his hands and be optimistic and, you know, give me the, the big nod. Every time he answers a question, he's trying to be optimistic. That's cool, but it's about results. You take over for Fred Hoiberg, and you're supposed to be better. And at this point, you wish Fred was back. At least Fred treated players with some respect. He might have been soft, or maybe he just didn't have the per- He had too many veterans that ran over him, but he was not trying to be the bully in the room. A- a- and he had a sound game plan offensively. But look at this team the way they are right now. Yes, there's a number of coaches that I would like to see the Bulls be able to go after. But the point is, is that it's all about an evaluation for this new staff. They know Boylan's not the right guy. They know that. But think about it. They come in and they look around. They're like, yep, I'm going to get rid of all the coaches right now. Yeah, just wait a second. Because the Bulls are not ready to win this upcoming season anyway for 2020, 2021. They're not ready to win anyway. But at some point, they will be when they have the right coach and maybe changes in the personnel. Something I want to point out, Zach Levine. If Zach Levine is your number one star, you don't have a number one star. That's as simple as, as, I mean, he's a piece of a championship team, but not the man. 
He has a lot of great shots he puts up from three-point range. He also has a lot of bad shots he puts up. So I saw him in Sacramento before he came to the Bulls. And I know that he's a, you know, he's a volume shooter and can do a lot of things on the floor offensively, streaky shooter at times, but he's a guy that would be the fourth option, maybe sixth man on a really good team in the NBA, not the number one. If Zach Levine's your number one, that's an issue. So he could be on this team, but he can't be the number one option. Um, and so that's, that's an issue. And that's all have to be, that all has to be evaluated by the new staff for the Chicago Bulls. Coming up, we'll put some money in your pocket with value bet. If you want to bet on the Cubs, Sox, Major League Baseball, I got it for you coming up next right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. I know the leagues. I know the teams. I know these players. I know this wonderful game called football. It's time for Value Bet. Oh, this is when the cream rises to the top. This is when things get hot. The largest sports wagering angles you need to know. Stats, records, rankings, weather. If the goalpost is tilted just a little bit. Value Bet on Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. You can bet your children's unborn children's children on these six games. Value Bet. This is America's premier sports information program. Here's Jonathan Hood. Please be joined by the host of the nationally syndicated radio show, Pushing the Odds, and the Daily Juice podcast from bettingpros.com. Matt Peralt joins us here on ESPN 1000. Matt, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for the invite. Great to be on. Great to talk some sports. It's uh, been a while to break down baseball. I cannot wait for next week. I know, uh, but it, it, I just I want to call you because I, I need some advice. I think we all need some advice on exactly <laughs> how to go about this baseball season, try to go around this terrain of not 162 games, but 60 games. So is there, for you, a particular strategy that you look at knowing that you got 60 games to work with in in the regular season? Yeah, there's a couple things that I would recommend. And the first is, You've got to be very careful. This is unlike anything we've ever seen before. As we know, baseball is all about numbers. It's all about you know looking at the, the macro versus the micro. And we're about to see a really micro season in a 60-game sprint. So I think you've got to be careful with your bankroll. I think you've got to be careful with how much you're extending yourself. And you can't come firing out of the gate in the first couple of weeks here. I think you've got to be watching and you've got to be evaluating the first week or even two weeks of this season to get an idea as to how these teams are going to perform. Because, look, I don't think fans not being there is going to be that big of a deal. But I do think the teams hit by COVID, I think it's a big deal. And I do think there are some teams that generally have and generally have players who are concerned about COVID-19. And I think that that's going to cause, I mean, baseball is a mental sport, as we know. I mean, if you're not comfortable at the plate, if you're thinking about all the wrong things and not the guy throwing 95 at you, I, I think you can really underperform. So I, my, my first advice is to really go light in the beginning. And my second advice is if you see a team that's hot, ride them. Because this is going to be, you know, six, seven wins in a row is significant with a 60-game season. So if you see a team that gets off to a good start or gets rolling, I would recommend just riding the wave as much as you can because it's not going to be, you know, as we know, it's on a, it's on a, it's on a marathon here. It's a sprint. 
Okay, so I'll start with the American League Central with the White Sox because, as you well know, Matt, the White Sox are, are a, a hot team as far as their, their youth. And again, it's just everything's just based on paper, um, yeah. the mixture of veterans and youth on this on this baseball team. And I've seen some place where some are fading the, the Sox and say, well, let's go to, wait till 2021. And others are hot on them and believing that they could be a playoff team. Maybe the Twins are the favorite. How do you look at the White Sox first in the American League Central? Look, they've made a lot of good moves. They've added, you know, they added on the payroll. They've spent more than years past. They've got a lot of young talent on that team. Win total at 31 and a half, 31, depending on the book that you're looking at. And I, I think you can take a flyer on this team because of the young talent and because they're a little bit of an unknown. I don't mind betting the over on them here and having kind of a breakout because, as we know, last year the Nationals through 60 games had won 27 games and then went on to win the World Series. We just don't know what these teams are going to do. I actually like the younger teams more than the veteran teams because I think the young kids don't know any better. Like They're just going to come out and play because it's baseball. They don't have families. Most of them don't have wives and most of them don't have young children at home that they're worried about and trying to keep COVID away. So I think the ignorance is bliss angle for the White Sox might actually be really nice. And if they can get some pitching and some performances uh, out of their starters, their division is winnable, and, and they have a much easier schedule than, say, the other team in Chicago and who they're going to face every day So in this 60-game schedule. So I like the over 31.5 for Chicago this year, and I, I think they could be – I mean, look, I don't know if they're a playoff team, but I think they're definitely going to be in the conversation in the division. All right, in that same division, um, there's a couple of teams to look at with the Twins uh, in the Indians. I've seen the Twins as high as 34.5 for the win total – what, what, how do you look at uh, the Twins and the Indians uh, possibly at the top of that division? See, I love Terry Francona, and full disclosure, I'm a Bostonian, and so I, I always have a big heart, soft spot in my, <laughs> in my heart for Francona. And, and I think having leadership during this time is so vitally important and being able to trust what's being told to you inside that clubhouse. I mean, look what the NFL is dealing with right now. J.J. Watt's calling out the NFL, saying we don't know anything, and rookies are reporting in Houston in two days, and there's a lot of anger about COVID-19 testing protocols. I think having a guy like Terry Francona and having – you know, look, that pitching staff is really good for the Indians. Lindor's a tremendous talent. I, I think having a guy like, guy like Francona as being a steadying hand, uh, I think they're a team really to watch during this, thanks to Francona's leadership. So I would lean towards the over there on that. But really, for any team when it comes to win totals, I don't think anybody's winning 40 games. And I think right. the most anybody might win is 35 games. So anytime you're getting close to that 35, 36 win total, I'm going to probably stay away from it just because I don't know exactly what we're going to get out of these guys. But I would shade towards the over for the Indians. Matt, as we take a look at the National League Central, as, as you know, the Cubs have underachieved here the last couple of years, it's, it's one thing to win 90 games. It's another thing to um, have a championship window open, and it's closing very quickly. You win the championship mm-hmm. in 2016, a couple of 90-win um, ball clubs under Joe Madden. Madden's let go, or they part. However, however the Cubs want to spin it, he was, he was either let go, or they parted with whatever. <laughs> he's, a, he's an angel now. We know that. So now yeah. it's David Ross. And so I'm, I'm skittish, and this is why I need your help with this. I'm a little skittish because first-year manager David Ross was a former teammate, and now he's the boss of, of these guys, the uh, guys like um, Rizzo and Bryant and Hayward. So uh, how do you look at the Cubs for the 2020 season? I'm not touching this team with the 10-foot pole for that very reason we just laid out. David Ross is a really big X-factor. Look, it could work, and 
former players have stepped up, and and, and you know the Red Sox looked at Jason Veritek, and teams have kind of kicked around the idea of bringing back guys who are catchers, who are really intelligent, who have won championships. David Ross, obviously, two-time champion with the Red Sox and with the Cubs, and a guy who's beloved by fans and players alike. It's just really hard to go from the guy that you lean on for advice to the guy who's going to be screaming at you and yelling at you and benching you when you're not playing well. So, I, I look, if I was to bet this, I'm not going to. I would take the 32 wins and go with the under with the Cubs. I, I just don't know how that pitching staff's going to develop. I just don't know that with that division, with how difficult it is. I like the Brewers a lot. The Cardinals are obviously going to be a very big problem. I just think the division is so difficult, and you're going to play so many of these games of the 60 in your own division that I think it's going to be tough for the Cubs. And I, I don't blame teams like Chicago or other teams that are trying to build towards 2021 to look at this and say, hey, we're going to try out some different options options and put on some of our younger players and give them chances to step up and see what they can do simply because this year is such a wash and such a weird year. So, I mean, I'm not betting it, but if I did, I'd bet the Cubs under. Okay. And so what about the rest of the National League Central? I've seen the Cardinals as high as 31, uh, 31 and a half as far as future odds uh, and the futures now, as far as the win total for the, uh, for the Cardinals, how, how do you look at the National League Central, if not the Cubs? Yeah, I, I like the Brewers a lot. Um, you know, I, I think having Yelich back is a big deal, and, and you know he's one of the MVP, you know, you know, leading bet getters, and he right, rightfully so coming off the leg injury for last year. I, I think that's a team that, that's got the chance to get hot. And like I mentioned, if you win, you know, if you win twelve or fourteen games over the course of a two week period, I mean, you can really get some distance between yourself and everybody else, and may not be able to make it up. So. I know pitching is a little bit of a question for Milwaukee, but I like Milwaukee in the division. Yeah, I, I, I know that there's some young arms and really talented players with the Cardinals, but uh, to win the division, I, I think Milwaukee is going to wind up winning it. Um, so, you know, I, I, sometimes for me, Matt, I'm going to do one of these radio I told you so bets. So I don't mind putting, <laughs> I don't, I don't mind putting like 150, 200 on the Reds. Uh, or, or maybe I should just wait until 2021 because that is the, the, the exotic hot pick, right? Sox and the yeah. Reds, two teams, you know, young, and I, I like what the Reds have done here in the offseason. I mean, they are really focused on pitching and development, and maybe I might be a year early, but that's a team I'm looking at, if not this year, definitely next year. Yeah, that's a team I would definitely look at for the future. I mean, again, this is what's so weird about this 60-game schedule because a team like that might come into their own and might grow up right before our eyes, and they may not know any better. I mean, sometimes you just, again, if you get hot over the course of a couple of weeks, all of a sudden you're sitting there in first place and you may not know any better, and you might wind up running away with the division. So, I mean, that's what I mean by you got to be careful. And taking flyers, okay, I mean, the Reds are definitely a team you're going to get a lot of plus money on. So, you know, that may be a winning strategy to go ahead and try to find one of these you know, diamonds in the rough or young teams with potential. And I think the White Sox fit into that. Even this year, the White Sox fit into that as being one of these younger teams that could rise up. It's, it's really weird. I mean, if, if we were doing this interview, you know, in March or, eight, or, or in February, mm-hmm. we'd all be talking about the Astros and how many Astros players would get, were, were about to get pegged by pitchers. Now, I mean, everyone forgot about the Astros, and the Astros could very well win the American League because the pressure is totally off of them with no fans in the stands. No one's going to be clamoring for, you know, trash cans to be banged when all two at the plate. So <laughs> it's just a different type of year, man. It's really weird. 
as far as home runs, I'm just um, just curious your thoughts on the home run total uh, or the favorite to be the home run leader because the obvious are at the, always at the top of the list, right? You you mentioned Yelich coming back here, and again, you're hoping if you're a Brewer fan, he's there for 60 games and giving you quality production. Alonzo from the Mets, Trout. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's someone off the board you're looking at. What, how do you see the home run chase? Yeah, I like a couple of the youngsters. I think Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr. are both potentially going to have monster years. And like I mentioned, I just think I like going with younger guys who aren't going to be as concerned about COVID-19. I mean, if you look around the country, look at the bars in Arizona and Florida. Uh, it's all young people running around not knowing any better with COVID-19. So I just think Soto and Acuna, I mean, 34 home runs for Soto last year, 41 for Acuna Jr. I just think both those guys in a sprint, in a 60-game schedule, and I like their odds. I mean, you've got 20-1 to on Soto at most books. You get 18 to one on Acuna. Uh, you know, I tend to look down the list a little bit and not really roll, roll, roll with the favorite because the, the value just isn't really there. But those are two guys I've looked at, and I think they both could have really big 60-game marks. And lastly, I want to ask you about some of the uh, the pitchers out there. DeGrom having to leave. He's the only pitched an inning. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's burning a hole in my pocket. Uh-oh. So so now what do we do, Matt, when it comes to well, maybe yeah, Cy Young I mean, for 2020? Yeah, that's my pick for the National League Cy Young. But I look, speaking of injuries, Tyler Glass now, can you please stay healthy? Can you please just yeah. not, not get hurt? Because he's at 10-1 to 1 in the American League for the Rays. I mean, nobody goes to games anyway for the Rays. They're playing in empty ballparks. They're going to feel like it's just at home for them. But, I mean, that guy, if he stays healthy, has got such nasty stuff. He's got the potential to win the Cy Young, but he can't stay healthy. But... I'm I'm on glass now to win the Cy Young at ten to one. I'm gonna hope and pray the guy stays healthy because he's so darn good when he's out there. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that pick. Uh, that's a really uh, good young rotation uh, for the for the Rays, and he's right there. I think he's gonna be either second or third in the rotation to start the season. But uh, that's gonna be that's a, I like that pick though. Um, so Matt, I'm I'm glad you spent some time. Um, I just I think all of us need some advice on how to be able to navigate through this because it is different. I mean, it's still it's still sports gambling, but it's it's just a different way and different approach for all of us because it's not what we researched all off season. It's different now because it's distilled down to 60 games. Without a doubt. And look, I'm serious. Bankroll management's really important. I'm a big believer if you're a new gambler for flat wagering, which is one number, you know, if it's, it's 100 bucks is your bankroll, 5 bucks, 5% of your bankroll, and just bet that and you'll have a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. You won't get in trouble and you won't be all angry at yourself and kicking and screaming every time because this baseball year, I don't think anybody has any idea. I mean, the Rays might win the whole thing for all we know. It's just going to be a wacko year when it comes to baseball. You heard it first from Matt. Tigers, Marlins, World Series. Uh, <laughs> Look, hey, Tigers over 20 and a half wins. I like that. I like the Tigers 20 and a half. I think they might be. I'm, I'm serious. Everybody might be 30 and 30. That wouldn't shock me if everybody in baseball just goes 500. Matt, I'm glad you spent some time with us in Chicago. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Anytime, guys. Thank you. On the show. Anytime, guys. Thank you. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Glad you're with us here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Let's talk some White Sox baseball. 
with a good friend of the program, Scott Greger, who covers the White Sox for the Daily Herald, and he joins me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Scott, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Jonathan. Good to, always good to come on your show, and uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, well, Scott, you and I have been talking uh, Sox baseball and baseball in general for decades, but how odd is this for all of us as people that watch and enjoy baseball? 60 games, not even 81. We're getting 60 games if we get there, right? Yeah, you know, that's, what, a week from today? I'll, I'll, I'll take that uh, short season over these uh, inter-squad games, which, I've, <laughs> you know, they're serving their purpose. There's another one today, like a long one last night for the uh, White Sox. And um, I think I'm ready to move on to some, you know, live competition or, you know, more real competition. And I think the White Sox are, too. I think probably everybody in baseball is. Well, Scott, so, yeah, this, is, this is no different than you, you know, watching practices on the backfields and spring training, right? Is it? But I guess in, in those cases, you can walk away. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, or, or run. <laughs> yeah, those are like yeah, yeah, the B games, and it's usually you go, Jonathan, you know, through the years in spring training. When you went to a B game, I remember one spring it was Jim Parquet coming back from a shoulder injury, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean that's what he was limited to. You know, B games, he wasn't ready for a Cactus League game, so you'd go check that out for until he pitched, you know, a couple innings, and then you'd be on your way, you know, to the real exhibition game. So I mean, this is this is what it is now, though, and. You know, considering where everybody was just what you know two three weeks ago, I mean, this is this is pretty good stuff. But I'm just glad that you know the the the, the, the testing numbers came out again today, and they're I think it was like 0.5 percent, which is pretty good. You know, positive rate. That's a pretty good number. So I think they're going to be able to pull this off. And you know, once they get going, everybody's going to know it's a 60 game season. But I think it's going to be. It's going to be really good uh, just to see you know baseball back, just to get something back here. Scott Greger from the Daily Herald covers the White Sox. With me, Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So, Scott, you, you covered the full tenure of Kenny Williams when he was in the chair as the main guy, general manager, and now here we see Rick Hahn the last few years um, after Ventura and where we are around Ventura and where we are right now in 2020. Do you think that Kenny would have had this much patience with developing young talent versus what Han has done, kind of stayed the course to where we are at this point where there's a lot of optimism? Yeah, well, yeah, like you said, Jonathan, we go back pretty far. And you, you remember as well as I do, uh, Trader Kenny. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if it, if it was like a, you know, a, 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 bad, a bad stretch of baseball, say like two weeks, somebody was getting traded, you knew that. Um, but I think even Kenny realized, I don't think he'd, he would have been as patient as uh, Rick Hahn is, but I think even Kenny, it got to the point, you know, when, when uh, Robin Ventura left, you know, that the, the plug-in guys, the Adam LaRoches, the Adam Duns, you know, just hope you, you know, you just hope you hit on something. You know, Kenny did obviously in 2005, but it, it's just really hard to sustain success that way with no farm system. And, you know, the, the really good prospects you do have, you know, Kenny would trade them for, you know, for, even Rick Hahn traded, you know, Tatis, Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields. And that was, I think, the final straw that, hey, you know, we got to, you know, you know, blow this up and rebuild, restock the farm system. You know, they did that, and it took a lot of patience. And that's that was one of the really tough things. This has been tough on everybody, but, I mean, for the White Sox, this was really the year, you know, that these prospects were all ready to go. Luis Robert, I mean, Eloy Jimenez came up last year. Dylan Cease came up last year. 
Moncada is a superstar. You know, this, he's got two years in now. And then, you know, they go at Grandal and Edwin Encarnacion, Dallas Keuchel. I mean, this is a much this is a much different team than White Sox fans have seen the last seven eight years. Uh, this is a pretty good team, and you know, they're determined. You know, the schedule is what it is, and uh, you know, they they want to make the playoffs, and they don't really care, you know, what it looks like. And they're, I think they're going to be ready to go here. I guess, Scott, this feels different for me as a Sox fan because, as you mentioned, this is not the typical Sox over the last 30-plus years of the cast-offs, bring in guys that can maybe turn the turnstiles a little bit. Maybe they could be attractions. You know, you, you know like the Eucaliss and the Griffies and uh, yeah. you know, uh, players like that, they'd come in, and it was just it, pretty much it was a business model after a while, right? Because yeah. they, they were not having the homegrown, enough homegrown talent to be able to satiate the appetite of of Sox fans, but this feels different. The Grandal and Incarnacion, as you mentioned, and Keuchel, they're not cast-offs. They, they are in their prime with young players. That seems like a, a healthy mix for the future, doesn't it? It sure does, Jonathan. You know, and, and the, here's the other thing with, like, the Grandals and the Keuchels and the Encarnacions. I mean, they wouldn't have signed here, like, with the Sox a year or two, three years ago. I mean, they they kind of saw what was going on, and you know, was you know, they they were kind of sitting back, like I'm sure a lot of veterans were, and be like, you know, I don't want to play on that team, you know, and that you know, I think last year, toward the end of last year, you could see, you know, like that, that young foundation was was there. Tim Anderson won the batting title. Lucas Giolito became an ace like almost overnight. Um, so they, there was a real good foundation of young guys. And that attracted, like, that attracted the Keiko, you know, like I was saying, like, the, the veteran guys, the veteran free agents that can pick and choose where they want to go. And they were, I think they all, all three of them, Gio Gonzalez, you can throw him in, Steve Ciszek, uh, uh, you know, their new relief pitcher that, hey, you know, they got something going here. I want to be a part of it. And these guys know how to win. And they, they've kind of brought that attitude in. And they really kind of instilled that in spring training before, you know, the game shut down. And they're picking it right back up, you know, now with uh, summer camp. Scott Greger from the Daily Herald with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Scott, what is your big picture storyline for the 2020 season? It's 60 games, but can you really make something out of the development of this team in such a short time? It's going to be, that's the big challenge. And, you know, I I think it's the challenge for everybody. So, you know, the White Sox are kind of on equal footing there. But, you know, they have things to accomplish this year, even with the short schedule. You know, they've, it's Luis Robert. I mean, he's the guy that I, I really want to see, you know, out of all these, like, young, really good players they have. You know, their new center fielder is just a, you know, fiend. I don't want to call him a phenom when he hasn't played a game, but you, you could, he can do everything. I mean, he can hit for power. He can, he can run. He can, he'll be a gold glove center fielder. He's just a special talent. So they want him to get some kind of development in. You'll see, uh, you'll see Nick Madrigal play second base, their first round pick from a couple years ago. Uh, like you know, five foot six, five foot seven, might be stretching it with him, but a baseball player, uh, great hitter, uh, really good defensive second baseman. You'll see him. Um, I, you know, the, the one thing that's tough is that you know Michael Kopech isn't you know opted out, so that's going to make it. Uh, you know, that this was a you know he missed all of last year with Tommy John, so you know this was a big year for him, but. You know, with the 60 games, getting him ready again, getting himself ready, I don't think he was real comfortable with that. So you just kind of roll the dice on him next spring when you hopefully have a regular camp. Um, but, yeah, they, they have a lot of development to do, and they want to win 
you know, kind of on the fly while they're doing that and then set themselves up here for a nice little run. So that same development where you're trying to read what you can see from 2020, Scott, is the same thing with Renteria. I, you know, maybe you can help me with my analysis of Renteria because I, I've been saying that when the socks are good, that'd be the time to be able to change. I just think yeah. that, and, and maybe that's unfair. I, I just think mm-hmm. that there's been a lot of losses and it's not necessarily on Rick, but I look at the cub model in a lot of ways where Rick was, you know, a solid manager, but it was a time for an upgrade. And I don't know if the Sox, because of the personality of the organization that likes to be loyal, if they're going to do that or not. I don't know if Rick's the right guy once the Sox are good. I, and I don't know how to read that after all the losing that the Sox have done. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, Jonathan, because in spring training, you know, back in February, I saw Kenny Williams on the backfield, and that was the question I asked him. And uh, he, he he did not like that question. He doesn't understand why, you know, anybody would think that Rick Renteria can't ma- manage a winning, uh, you know, major league team, especially, you know, particularly the White Sox. Um, he loves him. Rick Hahn loves him. And I, I think, but I think that love is more just because he's been such a good, sh- sh- you know, soldier with the last three years with, with you know, uh, rebuilding teams with not a whole lot of talent. Um, he hasn't had a whole lot to work with, so they don't they don't put a whole lot of stock into into the you know the three losing records. I believe two years ago they lost a hundred games. Um, they you know I, I, the way I like I look at Rick Renteria is he's a great guy. He's a great manager for a rebuilding team. I mean he's a really good teacher. He's really good with the young guys. And but yeah, like you said, you know there's only one way to find out if Rick Renteria Renteria can be a winning manager, and that's you know give him a team that's supposed to win. So we'll know. I don't know how much stock they're going to put into it. If he doesn't win this year, you know, they could say, well, you know, it was only a 60-game season. It was, you know, you can't judge off of that. But, I mean, this team should, even at 60 games, push for a playoff spot. I think they're they're, they're going to be that good or they have that much potential. Um, you know, do, do, can, can Renteria, you know, push all the right buttons or most of the right buttons and get them to where they should be? You know, we'll find that out. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting because if he doesn't, you know, just just from what, everything I've heard the last couple of years with the front office. I mean, they they really love Renteria, but I mean, this team ha- hasn't had a winning record in what seven eight years. So I mean, it's time it's time to do it now. You know, no matter what the circumstances. Here's another unfair question for you, Scott. Um, <laughs> watches of the practice yesterday. Um, it, it's it's weird when you see you know, the team take on one another across the, the uh, Major League Baseball landscape because it is practice and it's hard to read. But I did watch Rodon uh, you know, really get hammered, and he was red-faced and sweaty and not happy about his performance yesterday, at least uh, you know, facially. But it seems like afterwards – he kind of understood that he got, got to get the ball down, not keep the ball up against some of those uh, Sox hitters. So I, I wonder what he looks like for 2020. What is his role? You know, he still wants to be a starter, and you know that might happen. You know, with Michael Kopech out of the picture now, um, and you know they might, and just because everybody's had such a long layoff, is you know particularly the starters. If they go with the six man rotation, I mean, I think right now it's it's a uh, Giolito Keuchel. Gio Gonzalez, Dylan Cease, who looked great last night, and you know Reynaldo Lopez would be number five. And then you just if you're going to do if you're going to go six, you slide uh, you know Carlos Rodon in there. But you know if you don't, he you know he's missed over a year with Tommy John. He had a shoulder 
you know, procedure, soldier, shoulder surgery a couple of years, you know, the year before that. So mm-hmm. he's really been been gone for a while. He should he should be rusty. Um, you know, he still like gets frustrated. I think like you know he did when he was you know healthy and logging innings and and was like fully you know built up. But you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess you could try him. You know, I, I just think he'd be good. You know, better as a long reliever early, you know, since these starters probably aren't going to be able to go more than like four or five innings. So they have some options with them. And I guess it will depend on his results. Um, yeah. His, his fastball is, it looks pretty good. His slider. That's a, it's a good pitch for him. It probably, it, that's more of a touch pitch. I mean, that one needs some work, but you know, if he, if he figures it out as, as this season goes along, I think, you know, they can move him in the rotation, take him, you know, make him a long reliever. They could, they have some options with him. Last thing, and I appreciate your time, Scott. What's your gut say about these sixty games? Will we get this uh, abbreviated season in? I think so, Jeff. I mean, it's like I, you know, one thing that's kind of stuck with me through the summer camp is um, Steve Ciszek just kind of saying that you know I, I feel he said he feels more comfortable here than he did at home, just with all the testing they have. Um, you know, they're, they're they're taking this pretty seriously. Yeah, like Yon Moncada, I'm sure you saw that he's back. He, you know, he had the coronavirus, mm-hmm. so it's a it's a real danger. I mean, these these guys are aware of it. I think they're they're doing everything they can, and you know, the numbers those those that low positive you know test numbers that came out today, I think showed that you know 0.5 percent positive is is pretty encouraging. You know, all things considered, and I think they're going to be okay. You know, and if if guys have to go on the the COVID you know injured list. They have the you know the White Sox have their taxi squad in Schaumburg, so there's there are pl- plenty of uh, replacement options there, and you know you know the the, the roster is going to start out you know the start of the season it's going to be thirty a thirty man roster, and they so you know they have plenty of guys, and uh, hopefully they all stay healthy, and they don't need to be using this taxi squad too much, and let's get this thing going and get it in. Scott, I'm glad you spent some time. Thanks so much for coming on the show as always. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Always a pleasure. It's uh, Scott Greger from the Daily Herald with us. And uh, don't forget, on Saturday, I will be with Jeff Dickerson. We will be on together between 3 and 7 o'clock. So if you're around, check out Dickerson and Hood 3 to 7 on Saturday. If not, we'll do the baseball show coming up Monday at 6 right here on Chicago's Home for Sports. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's Home for Sports.